What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua Stein from the J. Stein Law Firm in Atlanta, Georgia, and welcome to the next episode of Sports and Torts, where each week we sit down with our peers, colleagues, and friends and discuss sports, law, and business. Today, I have a great guest on who does very similar work, actually the exact same kind of work as I do. The two of us have several similarities and several differences. Similarities are we are both double dogs. We both played high school baseball. We are both Braves fans. We are both UGA football fans. We both work for insurance defense firms and now have our own plaintiff's firms. The difference is I'm a dog lover. He is a cat lover. I have no tattoos. He has several tattoos. I always wear sleeves. He sometimes does not wear sleeves. I love sleeping in Marriott's and hotels, and he is a outside camper lover. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend Armin Deganian. Welcome, sir. Hey, man. Thank you so much for having me here. Glad to have you. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, you're at the office. We want to set the scene. I always like to do that. Um, you know, I've gotten this reputation, um, probably well earned, about you know all my podcasts involving alcohol and drinking, and you know that that's not what this is all about. I mean, it's it's it's, it's something fun to do, but there's there's more going on. So you're a very healthy guy. You like to work out, like to camp, like to hike. So you were kind enough to let me, you know, say, hey, let's let's do a little different direction. Um, so we put down the alcohol today, and we are drinking some protein drinks, some. Uh, energy drinks, some different things. So uh, we've got like five or six in front of us. We yeah. just sampled all of them. Um, what do we got? What'd you like? What's your tail of the tape of what we're drinking? So, yeah, so I normally would, uh, in the past, I would be doing exactly what you have done with most of your guests. Uh, big, uh, I was always a big scotch guy, big uh, bourbon guy. So to do a taste testing of what we have in front of us, I'm sure is very different for you. It's a little different for me too. Because uh, this stuff is all new to me because I've just been trying to get a little healthier. So we've got a uh, Qua protein drink, which was almost like a milkshake, which uh, which I enjoyed. Um, only 18 grams of plant protein in that. It, it tasted <laughs> like a chocolate shake. Yeah, truthfully. it did. We didn't get, we have a naked green machine, which we didn't get to yet. And I, I, I know I mentioned I have drank these before, which was because I would usually drink them after hangovers. Um, <laughs> those, those are standard green <laughs> yeah. juice smoothies, much easier than, than using the uh, you know blender. Those are great. Yeah. And then the one, probably my favorite, was we uh, one that you grabbed, the Zavia Zero Calorie Energy Drink, which is a mango ginger, so it's very uh, exotic. But that's a zero sugar, 120 milligrams of caffeine. So that one I may do again. Yeah, yeah. Revisit it, as they say in Napa. Yeah. Revisit it. So I like that one. To be, I'd be curious. Neither one of us drank the entire you know, yeah. glass of either one. I'd be curious, like, the jittery feeling after that. I mean, I love, like, monster drinks, yeah. Red Bull, but they, they leave you feeling a little bit you know, jittery yeah. afterwards. But I'd be curious because that yeah. one was really good. Yeah, I'll tell you, I went skiing this year recently, and uh, instead of what I used to would drink, like a uh, two pints of booze, <laughs> when I would take a break at the lodge, I was doing Red Bull, and I got the same as you. Like, I started getting too jittery. It was a little too much caffeine, so I'm looking for a replacement. You know, I know there's a lot of a lot of guys and girls that like to have that afternoon kind of beer, drink, skiing. I, 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 don't, I don't trust myself enough same. to go down that road at lunch. <laughs> yeah. Like, g- g- give me the, you know, Gatorade, Powerade, yeah. and then if the Opera ski at 4 o'clock yep. is much more, you know, my style. But anyway, look, uh, great to have you here today. Like I said, our backgrounds are pretty similar in terms of our education. Um, so introduce yourself, your firm, what you're doing. Okay. Again, uh, Armand Deganian. I am a partner at Littner and Deganian. We have been, Steve and I, Steve Littner is my partner. We've been partners since we, we started the partnership in January of 2016. Uh, like you said, we probably do very similar type of law. I, th- I think you, you might uh, be on the side of some of the more, the larger, more catastrophic stuff, which is what your background is and what I know you did with Andy. Um, we do uh, we probably have higher volume case-wise. We have seven total attorneys uh, and about 30, well, attorneys and staff combined, about 35. Yeah, y'all's growth has been very impressive over the years. And, and, and we'll certainly, I want you to explain explain that because, yeah, y'all, y'all's, y'all do much more volume type cases than, than I do. My operation is very small. But the kind of case we work on are the exact same car wreck, truck wreck, you know, slip and falls, that kind of stuff. So um, I always always appreciate the feedback you give and advice you give when questions come up. 
pretty good at that, man. I try. I try, and usually it's from screw ups. <laughs> I, I usually learn from my previous screw ups. <laughs> but you do a good job on the list. You do a good job on the listserv, like because you know we, we know there's lots of questions that get asked, some better than others. Yeah. But um, GTA listserv. But you always, you know, golf clap to you for always coming up with some with some good answers. Um, now your high school sports career is something that I think is worth mentioning. It's something that you played both baseball and football. Yeah. Yeah, my, my friends will appreciate this because I talk about it a lot. Um, I played, and I joke, my friend Sam, like uh, Al Bundy, uh, the real version of Al Bundy. I think Al Bundy was probably better than me, but... Um, well, not in your own mind. Yeah, right? Revisionist mind. history, you can talk <laughs> I'm about. I still have my letter jacket at home. <laughs> but should have worn it today. <laughs> I sh- oh, man. I have my football jersey, too. Oh, that would have driven my friends crazy. Um, you can send it- me a picture. I'll <laughs> add it to the list. I'll do that. Uh, so I, I played baseball and football. I went to Loganville High School in Walton County. So that is about an uh, 45 minutes an hour from Atlanta towards Athens. So if you took 78, it's halfway there. And when I grew up, it was, it's, it's, it's a larger now. We were double A back then. Now they're five A, I assume. But uh, baseball was kind of keen growing up and then high school football. So I, I played ball, I played baseball since I was seven, eight, and I started playing football in my eighth grade year. You do any men's leagues ever did baseball? Yeah, I still play in them. Yeah, I thought I thought you did. I, I don't have the uh, the courage to get back and play in one of those. I I usually play a couple of games a year, and then I remind myself why I should not play a full season. <laughs> so me and my friends, uh, we always not always, but we always like talking about like what would our average be if we got or how many hits would we get if we had like a hundred at bats in the majors? Oh, I I would be happy if I was hitting a hundred. I'd be happy if I was hitting <laughs> half of a hundred. I kind of think so too. I think some of these some of these folks our age that think they can get 15, 20 hits off major league pitchers are, are just kidding themselves. Um, I, you know, I'll get in the cage sometimes. My son plays baseball over D bat, and they'll, I'll go in like the seventy mile per hour cage. Yeah. That thing is coming. Mm-hmm. That thing is coming. And so you add another twenty plus mile an hour, throw a you know off speed pitch, curveball like. That's, I think with our age, with the difference that I've noticed, and I play in a 25 and under league, and that is so typically 18 to 25 year olds, and the, the what I'm reminded of when because these guys are like played in the minors very recently, they're like just finished playing college ball. What I've realized is the place, like the placement, is what's killer. Which what I imagine in the majors. I mean, you can get a guy. I can hit it. I can probably hit an 85 mile, mile an hour fastball. But if he throws me a 67 mile an hour curve or break or change, like, and then throw, I can't. There's yeah, no way to, no, to on, catch on, up. On the corners on black, yeah, forget yeah. about it. But good for you to keep playing. Maybe I I'll, maybe I'll play some softball. Maybe I'll one day, yeah. uh, shout out to the Frackers. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll one day get out there. So when you went, when you graduated from Georgia, did you go directly to law school? Uh, I did. So, um, yeah, I, almost, I had to think about it. I did. That was in, I finished in 2000, so I started that same year. Yeah, I was, I was straight, too. You were, uh, you graduated law school oath. Three. Three. Yeah, three. I was a four. A four. Yeah, so you, so you were one year ahead of me. And you were in Utah for an, a year or two, right? My sophomore year, uh, and a lot of people don't know about this program, and it's actually still at Georgia, I believe, but it's called um, NSA. It was National Student Ex- NSE, National Student Exchange. So I spent my sophomore year in Utah, University of Utah in Salt Lake uh, paying Georgia tuition, which I was on hope back then. So I essentially went there, you get all your credits, and they all transfer back. Brilliant. I love it. And you, you love the West Coast. I mean, you spend lots of time out there. I do. I do. That's and always been a passion of yours? Yep. Yep. Hiking, skiing, you know, the recreational opportunities that you I hate to say you don't have in Georgia, but they're limited in Georgia. You know, it's so hot, number one, which I grew up here, but I don't enjoy the, the summer times. And the mountains are, are two hours away, and, you know, you go through traffic typically to get out there. So being somewhere like Salt Lake, you have immediate opportunities to basically step out your front door and do stuff like that. I saw a hiking list you put together. Uh, I think you posted on, on social media. Um, blew my mind. Yeah. You know, uh, just the preparation and the packing. Um, I will hike if there is a up and a back yeah. <laughs> or, or a circle. Yeah. Okay. But I ain't hiking, stopping, setting up camp. I just, like I said, uh, I'm a Marriott, Marriott guy. <laughs> Walk through kind of what that list looks like and, 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 and how these hiking adventures of yours go. So for me, it, it is, I, I think about like when I'm done doing this, I think I could, you know, I've thought about doing something like that. Like whether it's planning trips, um, some sort of guiding. And, and I did it when I was younger too uh, for a company I worked for. But to put these together for me, it's really, it's, it's a hobby thing. And it, it takes my mind off of work you know, for what we do for, of, of the stress related to owning your own practice and 
all the things that pull us in so many different directions. So to be able to plan something like that is really a chance for me to sit down and I can have my mind on, but it's not on, on what we do. You know, it's, I'm not thinking about a case or a client or management. So I get really detailed. I, you know, I do a ton of research online and I come up with this one form and I, it's two to three pages. Nobody ever reads it. I send it to my girlfriend. I send it to my brothers when I, you know, when we go on trips with them and I literally take copies with me when we show up because they're going to ask me all the questions that were in it. <laughs> well, I read it. I read one you posted because I just kept going. I was like, holy cow, like this is some serious yeah. stuff. Um, I cannot keep up. I'm just, you know, just, just being honest with you. Well, I want to talk about that, but let's talk about your day job first. What, what pays you to let you go do all these great things. Um, out of law school, you had a similar beginning than I, as I did, which was at insurance defense firms, um, which I think is a great place to start to kind of learn the tricks of the trade. And, you were at Goodman, weren't you? I was a good, yeah, I started progressive for two years in house and then, um, Edward Lindsay hired me over at, at GMLJ, which was great. I was there for 10, 12 years. You're a partner. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. So you were, you were where? So I, I started, I did a year clerkship out of law school for a uh, superior court judge in Paulding County, which is Dallas, Georgia. And I did that purposefully. I, I had made up my mind that that would be the best experience for me. Not knowing, but I just thought, I don't know that I'm ready to jump into a firm. I don't know what I want to do. Number, from there, it was a one well, let, year. Let, let me oh, stop yeah. you on the clerk, on the clerkship yeah. because um, I think that, and I've said this before, that I wish there was a mechanism where, you know, everybody could have that experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, it only goes to a certain, you know, certain candidate gets that kind of job. But, you know, I, I would imagine, and I've heard from other people, I never did one, that, that you know, the, the, the training and the exposure and the experience can really shape the way that you become as a lawyer. Do you find that to be the case? 100%. And I listened to um, Jason Darniel on your podcast, the one of the last guests you had, and Jason's experience was very similar to mine in that I, I agree with you. I think it's pretty, it's invaluable to be able to get that type of insight into litigation without having to go through it yourself as, you know, as green as you're going to be coming out of law school. So what I learned, like what Jason learned is what irritates judges, what drives them crazy, what they like to see out of attorneys, professionalism. Uh, like Jason said, the judges would get together. I worked for, I worked for two judges, but all the senior judges came in every day and they don't get together in one of the judges office and just talk about the lawyers that annoyed them <laughs> and about the things they did. And then they talk about the good ones. So I got to see firsthand and hear firsthand what, how I would try to, you know, you want to emulate the good stuff you hear. And that, I think that's a benefit of clerking really gives, as long as you got a good judge that clerking can, can give a young attorney. No, that That's cool. Thank you for listening to the podcast with Jason, by the yeah, way. Yeah, great. He, you know, I, I know you have cases with his firm too. So, um, you he know. pays me. I ask him to pay me. <laughs> he'll fight you. He'll, fight, he'll he fight you right. He does, he does fight it the right me. way. Yeah. Uh, so, so you, you heard the way he described the way he kind of views cases and practices law. Um, how, how, what is your approach? My, very similar. And I, and I do think that my, my approach was molded by that clerkship. So I've always, you know, path of least resistance. I think to me, it's not because it's one, I think it's more effective. And two, I think it's as a professional, as a lawyer, you know, I, I can appreciate every lawyer that I work with on the defense side. Having been on the defense side, I don't vilify them all. You know, a, a lot of plaintiff attorneys I know that didn't work on the defense side think that these defense attorneys love just giving us a hard time and love the insurance. They don't. They're just, I mean, I don't know what your experience was, but I didn't really like doing it, but I was getting paid and I had a, I had a mortgage and I had a loan to pay off from law school. So if, yeah, it was a job. It was, you worked with good people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I learned that I enjoyed making, you know, I enjoyed having a professional relationship with the attorneys I worked with. So for me, I've always felt what's fit for my personality is to be diligent, to be thorough. I can be aggressive if I have to be, but I think being a professional, number one, it has always gotten more done for me and gotten better results. Because I think people, like Jason said, people are going to work with you and work and, you know, you're going to get stuff resolved when you... Um, don't show them your bad side. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, I think that the more professional you are, the more kind you are, mm. it just, it just pays off and it's a better way to live. I mean, it's like, who feel wants better. That? Who, yeah. yeah. You feel better. Like who wants to ha always be fighting and, and, and you have to file motions when you, when it has to, when it has to happen, but not every case. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that, I think that a lot of the folks who we, you know, kind of the folks who, who, who we're friendly with, who we work with, like kind of take that approach and everybody's successful with it. So 
why not? But what was it that eventually had you move over to doing plaintiff's work? So defense work I did for seven to eight years. And uh, I mean, I, I was, I was uh, never that into it, I guess is a good way to put it. I just showed up and I did the work and uh, I was at my second firm. And at some point I was 29. And at some point I just, I knew I didn't want to do this anymore. And, and I did, but I didn't know, I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I didn't know if I wanted to keep practicing law because seven, eight years in, I, I just, it didn't do much for me, you know, and insuring, d- defending insureds. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it, but I just, you know, I was getting directions from an insurance adjuster who I could barely ever get to call me back. So I, I it just wasn't very fulfilling for me. So I got, <laughs> so the firm I was at, I, uh, I went on a vacation. I went on two vacations. I basically just started kind of doing what I wanted to do. I think <laughs> nobody wanted, nobody was in agreement with me. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. None of my bosses uh, were in agreement with me. About I want to go here. I want to go there. Like, don't care if they don't want me to or not. I just started doing it. And I, so I went on a couple of European trips and one of them I didn't run by, uh, my boss or <laughs> anyone for that matter. I literally put on, and this is 2009, you know, before I had a cell phone, but it's different. And I just cleared my, my calendar and I don't even know if I put, I was going to be gone, but I just made sure that it was good. I was cleared and I was hitting my hours at least close and I just went and I thought, well, this it can't be that big a deal. But looking back, I didn't ask for good reason. <laughs> put your out of office on and yeah. just be like, you know, sorry. Uh, hey, no court hearings, no depositions. Yeah. Maybe no one will even notice I'm yeah. gone. You could probably, t- today's day and age with, with everybody working remotely, you might be able to get away with that a little bit easier. Yeah, because you could do stuff. And that's why I say without a cell. So I, I was I went to Italy and I actually went backpacking up out there and I got into the town of Turin. So I landed in Milan, took a train to Turin and I'm, I get out of Turin. And this first time I turned my phone on and it wasn't to I, I, I just turned it on because I was like, I just had a feeling. And uh, Erica Parsons, who's sure. a good friend oh, of yeah, mine. I love Erica. Yeah, we worked together and she texted me. I know she emailed me because I think I got on Wi-Fi. She emailed me and said, uh, Where the hell are you? <laughs> yeah, so-and-so is looking for you. I was like, oh, really? I said, I'm in Turin. And she said, what are you doing in Turin? I said, I took a trip. And uh, I ended up emailing with the partner I worked for, who I did great respect for. And, you know, I put him in a position to have to deal with that. But he, uh, he was like, maybe we should talk when you get back. And I was like, I think we probably should. And, and when I got back, we did talk and decided that, you know, maybe defense work wasn't a good fit for me. And the best thing that he told me was... He had a really honest conversation. He said, Arma, maybe it's just not what you need to do. Like, you might like plaintiff's work. He's like, it's a grind. I mean, he's a partner that's been there. He was probably 25 years in at the time, and he was really honest with me. He said, this is a grind. It's not for everybody. It, it doesn't, if you don't like doing it, it's not because you're not a good attorney. It's it's hard. What a good approach for him to take with you, to be honest, and to educate you and say, hey, look, look looking down the path, this is maybe not the best place for you. If you want to take these trips and do these things, plaintiff's work, does provide more flexibility. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. So you, you make the move, plans work, uh, very happy you did, started your own firm, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, I worked uh, I worked at a, another plaintiff's firm, uh, the Orlando firm, and Roger and I are still great friends, and that was a great uh, initiation to plaintiff's work for me because when you switch, there were so many things that I never dealt with, like ERISA liens and uh, Medicare reimbursements, all these things were... You, you know, you deal, you, you want to lean affidavit as defense attorney, you know, you, you don't ever have to deep dive into a lot of that stuff. So, um, it took me a solid, I'd say two years to kind of acclimate to doing the plaintiff side and doing the, the business side of the plaintiff's work, meaning, um, you know, putting settlements together, running numbers, running them for the clients, how to present them vetting to clients. Vetting the clients. It's vetting clients. The clients aren't just given to you to defend. You have to, to, to number one, attract them yeah. and then decide if this is the kind of case you want to handle. Yeah. And, and, Working somewhere else helped me see what what I wanted my firm to be like if I ended up doing that one day, because uh, I wasn't sure when I started at, at Rogers if I, if I just wanted to stay there for my, or it, it just kind of happened over time. But you see things, uh, you know, did I want to have a larger firm, a smaller firm? What kind of work did I want to do? And that that helped me a lot to be able to see that through another another practice. And then in two thousand, Steve and I were um, kind of associates, I'd say, just. Bumped into each other a couple times at GTLA. Y'all were y'all, were y'all ever the same firm? No. Together? No. No. I, I don't think I ever knew how y'all met. So it was just kind of being around the same field? Yeah, we, we bumped into each other a couple times at GTLA, had lunch, um, and we were at Auto Torts, uh, which is the GTLA's annual um, 
torch thing they do in, in Florida. And when he, we were down there, we were talking and he said, hey, you know, if you ever want, if you're ever thinking about going on your own, I'd be happy to open up my books for you. And you can kind of see or any advice you want. You know, he already had a firm. He already had it. Yeah. Steve had a, had had a firm for maybe two years at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I decided to do it in 15, I, I called him up and we went awesome. and had a beer and kind of started talking through things. I love it. And, and having a partner is great because I imagine you're good at some things that he's not and vice versa. Yes. Um, and this was a benefit of Steve and us talking openly, you know, when we first met, we realized that right out, right out the gate. Like Steve is very, was, Steve is very good at things and enjoys things that I don't necessarily enjoy. And we knew that, that this is something that kind of evolved. We figured it out. Like Steve loves the, um, the administrative part of the practice. He's great with numbers. He's great with, uh, training. He's a great manager. Um, and I, at the time, all I wanted, I wanted to litigate. Like, that's what I was, you know, what you knew, that's what you'd come up doing. I love practicing. I love litigating. I like the social aspect of having a practice, talking to people, going to lunches, going to dinners. And he doesn't mind doing that, but it's not as much, um, priority for him. So we, we figured out kind of our, we broke our roles out. Uh, before we started, which I think was helpful. And that's played out still today. Y'all kind of know what you're good at and what's helpful to grow the firm. Yeah. I mean, with maintenance, I mean, we have uh, kind of a annual check-in with each other. Uh, we check in randomly, but we do an annual check-in as partners and talk about where we're all succeeding and where the other might be able to step up a little more. I mean, it's, it's a very honest conversation, which you get done with it. And sometimes you, you're like, you know, you could take it personally or you could take it as a chance to grow and a chance to improve. And I think that's what we end up doing. And, and every year it's helped us. We haven't really ever changed that initial kind of model, but it helps you kind of, kind of adjust to circumstances or growth every year as we go. And y'all have grown at a pretty good clip, right? I mean, lawyers, staff, different offices. What are you up to now? I don't even know. So we started with three, Steve and I and one paralegal in 16. And then, uh, by 17 or by 18 we were at about 20 and then in pan and the pandemic struck we were probably 25 and and we were lucky to kind of stay uh at about that number through we never lost and i mean we had a little bit of turnover just a couple employees here or there but we managed not to um to hemorrhage during the pandemic which we were lucky so now we're about 35 total uh employees, including ourselves. That's, that's great. And so do you find yourself, and, and maybe it's both, but like management functions versus still litigating the cases versus marketing, like how do you split your time up between all that? That That's one of the biggest challenges <laughs> that we have. And I'm sure that we're, you- We're wasting time coming to my office <laughs> talking to me like this. <laughs> no, it's actually great to talk out loud about it because sometimes you internalize these things. And, and Steve and I, and Shay uh, Shulman, our other partner, you know, we talk about this all the time. Uh, Cause you feel pulled in different directions. So, you know, in 16, we started, I was probably 75, 80% doing litigation and, and practicing. Now I'm probably 50, 50. So 50% either doing, you know, lit man- litigation management, or, you know, I still have my hands in pre-suit cases. Uh, and then the other fifth, uh, the other 50 is whether it's marketing, um, management, training, hiring, all that stuff. I mean, we, we spend a lot of time on that. And you're, you're very good at marketing. You're, you, you take a very unique approach. Everybody knows you, everybody likes you, everybody sends you cases, you get hired all the time. So, you know, kudos to you. Thank you. We're not (laughs) taking the same kind of vanilla approach to it, right? Like we're all trying to think outside the box a little bit, but you do a lot of cool stuff on social media. You don't take yourself too seriously. You're, you're, you're very authentic, which I think that's the word that, um, is important to, to consider because we all have to be ourselves, right? Yeah. So, but I mean, when, when people that don't know you, like they could go see some of the videos that you've posted mm-hmm. um, and the, the pictures that you've posted from different places that you have visited. Like, is that just who you are? That's just your personality? Uh, you know, I, I grew into it over it, kind of about the same time when I talking about when I left the defense side. It really, I, I grew up um, always knowing I was kind of, my own person, but I didn't really act it out until I got in my twenties and, you know, late twenties, early thirties. And I, and at that point I started saying like, F it, you know, I'm, I, this is who I am. And people would say like, Oh, you can't do that. You know, if you're in a business, you should do this or that. Even when I first started shaving my head, not really my option, but I started shaving my head <laughs> and they were like, are you going to, you lawyers shouldn't have your head, you know, just these ideas that law, lawyers had to look a certain way, act a certain way, or it would be detrimental to, to running a business. 
and that just never made sense to me and I never believed in it and I never put myself in a box and you know there were times I thought like oh, maybe I'm a little too far out there and some some things but uh, I felt like what you said is is hits the nail on the head is that it's just being authentic and whether that's what I, how I am or, or how you are or how anyone else is if you try to be something else and I think this goes for trying jury trials as well that people just see through it and I'm just not very good at doing the fake kind of yeah, I don't like the sticky stuff. Doesn't work you for No, it doesn't work. It doesn't, no. Um, and you're right. It's like, you know, today's day and age, you don't need to be the dark suit, red tie, you know, shine black shoes. At court, yes. Yeah. But day to day, like, that's just not the way things are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, that your approach has, has been great. Um, and it's genuine. And, and, and by the way, it's fun. It's fun. I have fun doing it. Right. And, and I've always thought, too, when I would dress up, I think of, I try to put myself and potential clients or, or current clients shoes and you know if, if I'm being talked to like a lawyer or if I look at someone and I say oh he must be a lawyer I'm, pro- that, I'm not a, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not going to gravitate towards that because I do feel like it can be intimidating to to I say regular people non-lawyers and I don't know that I want to go talk to a guy in a suit that's making me that's asking me these questions and you know I want to sit with somebody that acts like me and looks like me. Yeah, yeah. So you were here when a when a client of, of mine who was coming to pick up a settlement check for a case just concluded, um, and it was a very casual encounter, right? Yeah. Like I'm dressed and I'm wearing a. a a Sindam Ron yeah. <laughs> T-shirt, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Ron yeah. Washington, um, yeah, you're wearing what you're wearing, which is which is great. She was wearing, and it was like it was not stuffy. It was cool. We were hanging out. Like that's what clients want because they do get intimidated by lawyers. Yeah. Like they they didn't ask to be in the situation they were put in. They don't want to go through a litigation process. The last thing they want is to feel intimidated by the person that's on their side, right? It- and I think you, and then you add the factor of that we probably have the worst reputations of almost any professional in America. I mean, other than maybe uh, politicians, that the assumption for plaintiff's lawyers is, is not a good thing. And, you, and I think I keep that in mind in everything I do. So, you know, whether it's like if you flashing money or, fla- you know, flashing wealth. There, there's going to be a negative connotation to that because people already think like you're taking too much of their money when, you know, I think we earn it because, you know, the ones of us that work hard and that care about what we do. But, uh, I, I think there's the, the more, the more re- real you can, you are, I, I agree with you. I think clients prefer that. There may be some that want somebody dressed up and I might, maybe I miss out on a couple of those, but I'll take that. Sure. Maybe a beauty pageant. We miss out a few, but I don't, yeah. I don't want that client anyway. Um, you're right. I mean, the stigma behind our, our profession is real. I mean, I'll, I can think of several times where I've been in a situation socially and, well, what do you do? And I'll tell them and they want to say like, oh, you're an ambulance chaser. Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. like they, they, they catch themselves like, yeah. eh. I'm like, it's okay. Yeah. You know, I, I got it. And, and frankly, there's plenty of people in our profession that I would call that. Yeah. They're the ones that, that people probably know who I'm talking about, but that's not what you and me do. Yeah. Um, not what our firms do. And it's not the, the type of, you know, image that I think is, is properly illustrates us. Yeah. And oftentimes we could probably make more money if we did that. Probably could, yeah. probably could, but don't want to. So in terms of, of having that culture play out with your, you know, with your staff and with your other attorneys, cause you've got 30 something people, mm. how do you create an environment and an atmosphere that kind of lives out or, or plays out the way that you view the profession? And that, that's a great question because we've been, Steve and Shay and I have been very, um, We've thought about it a lot, and we thought about it a lot when, before Steve and I actually formed the firm. And we talked about what do you what do you see our firm like? What what does? And these are all things we talked about before we agreed to do it. I mean, we we're almost like picking each other's brain to make sure we're on the same level uh, in terms of expectations. And we wanted casual, just what you said. Uh, we wanted to create a flexible environment for not just ourselves but our employees. Um, lots of to be there to give a lot of feedback direction and it's a constant challenge you know because sometimes I, I feel like we fall short of it because we're so busy but we none of our employees dress up they always come in for an interview dressed up i'm like that's gonna be the last time you're ever gonna wear that i guarantee you unless you like wearing it you're you're wearing your dale murphy jersey while <laughs> yeah. you're interviewing they're like uh okay yeah they never second when they come back when we hire them they come back they're wearing shorts and a t-shirt and i'm like that's you're good um we try to keep the atmosphere like that. We treat clients the same way. We have them come in all the time, and I dress like this when a client comes in. 
unless I, you know, I might have, unless I have some sort of feeling they might want me to be dressed up, but rarely does that happen. And y'all been uh, rewarded with this, with the inclusion of the Bulldog Top 100, right? We did. A couple we, years running. Talk, talk about that. Hey, congratulations yeah, thank to you. you. That's awesome. Two, yeah, two years in a row we've made that list, and that's, um, that's big for me because I, like you, I'm a double dog, huge dog, Georgia fan, and uh, anything, I always think back when I was at Georgia as an undergrad, or even in law school, because I was not the best student, um, I to get a recognition like this from Georgia is a big deal to me because I never thought I'd be on one of those lists. I thought I'd be on one of the <laughs> bad lists. Um, but that, uh, that recognizes the hundred fastest growing businesses, um, that are, that have a Georgia grad as at least 50% owner. It's awesome. So it's awesome. And you, 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 I, mean, I saw some pictures. You were Sanford stadium, yeah, it was cool. locker room, like t- take us behind the scenes. Yeah. All of us UGA fans. So we went, they, they had an event. They didn't do it last year because of COVID. Unfortunately this year they did it in person. We got to go to, it was at Sanford. They took us through the locker rooms. They put on an event, did the countdown and, uh, we weren't supposed to go on Sanford <laughs> onto the field, but my girlfriend and I walked outside and there was a little fencing and it was down. There was like a chain that prevented Did us. Did you from sneak be- in <laughs> we walked Sanford on the yeah. field? So we went on the field and then the, they had all this music and lights on for us, like to kind of, you know, they bless them. They want our money. But we, <laughs> I went down there and looked at Jessica and I was like, we should just go on the field for a minute. And then other people were behind us and they just started following us. And I don't know if I, we were the first ones or the people next to us, but gradually everybody and their families were running down on the stadium. And then they had to like corral us out. They're like, we're not supposed to be on the that's field. Awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, it's it's like, that whole thing. It's like, just act like you're supposed to be there. You know? And like once the first person goes <laughs> yeah. from there, didn't you sneak into a, a stadium in Utah too recently? I did. I, uh, I got, I went into Rice Eccles the weekend before. <laughs> so is, I got, is this a new thing for you? Just trying to I've, make your way. In. I told my friends I was waiting to get handcuffed at Rice Eccles because I was the only one in there because it was when I went for a morning run, um, but uh, UGA, I, I UGA, I thought we were probably allowed to be on there, and I learned later we're, we should not have walked on the field. <laughs> did you take any of the hedges or anything? I did not. I was respectful. I almost got into the into the uh, Uga's uh, little doghouse, but it, I thought that might look kind of tacky. <laughs> Try to, to fit in there. I don't know if I would have fit, but it would have been close. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, you also do like you have a blog, right? Like, kind of. I don't know if it's if it's <laughs> the production is. Um, refined enough to be called a blog, but a, a lot of it for me is, uh, I mean, I'll, like your podcast, I like because it's, it's, there's a human side to it. You know, like you're not just on here telling people what you can do for them. You're not just on here telling, uh, having lawyers come out to come brag about themselves. I mean, it's from what I've, the ones I've listened of yours, like it's an honest conversation. And then, yeah, you talk about sports, but for me, it's kind of the same thing as when I, I do little videos or posts that I do. The I I I like to think they're more focused on non-lawyer stuff, and if I have to, but I I rope a little bit of of what we do on a day-to-day basis into there, or I'm making fun of myself or or our profession, and that just is like we said more authentic for me because I'm I've never had the sharpest legal mind, or or you know I don't think anyone will admire anything I say. <laughs> trying to pitch them to hire me. So the, the, you've done a bunch, and I do watch them, and I find them very entertaining. Um, the one you did that had me a little nervous today was the one you did on podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm like, he's, he's right. He, he, he nailed it. He nailed it. I'm like, now I got this guy coming in. Like, what are you going to do? Um, how did you do the production of that, where it's like you asking yourself questions? You know, I said uh, – um, I. Like, and maybe I'll maybe I'll drop a link to that in the comments so people know what we're talking about. It's a, it's a great two minute yeah. watch. Yeah, there's a lot of bad words in that one, but that I, you know, I I have a um, tripod and I got it on Amazon and I just have it in my office. And then every once in a while, I just I think I in, in the shower that morning I thought of it. So what I do is I, I if I have an idea, sometimes I should run this by people because they probably tell me that's a bad idea. But I, I come up with an idea and then when I get to work, I I get in the office, I do a. Um, just a little spreadsheet on a piece of paper and I write out the, 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 I don't even know what people probably call them. These who do real things, but it's like a little square and each square I have the questions and they, they answer call that a little square with a little, yeah, yeah, exactly. what it's called. <laughs> and then I, I just put the tripod down and I was like, I'll try this. And it, it usually takes me 45 minutes to an hour and I don't run it by anyone because I'm like, I'm either going to get talked out of it 
of posting this because they'll think it's a bad idea. Um, and then I'll, and then I post it. And then if, if I, it gets any traction, then I might do another one down the road that the similar topic. I love it. Well, I, I, I'm telling you, I saw that one on podcasting. I was I'm like, he nailed it. So funny. Better <laughs> questions I'm going to ask you today. Um, all right. Before we move on to the sports stuff, because I, the UGA and the Georgia, like, that's obviously my thing. Um, y'all's firm does a good job with trying cases. I know that's something that's important to you and your firm. What I mean by that is, you know, you don't always just settle the case no matter what. If it's not a fair offer, it's not reasonable, like you're going to try the case. And you've got the reputation now with insurance companies and defense attorneys. They know you're willing to do it. And that all that does is all it does. Everything it does is it enhances the settlement value for your clients. So talk about, you know, the decision to be trying cases and, you know, the, the positive effect you've seen from that and then just the experience of trying a case. Yeah, I, I, I like trying them. And I think every associate that we have likes it and has experience doing it. So I think in order to get real value out of cases, you have to try cases because I know you and Jason were talking on your podcast about how the adjusters know, like, you know, they said they get a case with you and like, oh, we like, you know, they like you, not in just that they like you, they want to give you money because they like you, but they know that, that you're not just posturing. And for us, I think if you're not trying cases, you're not going to get true value because you're going to get lowballed. I, when I did defense work, I knew when attorneys weren't going to try their case because they weren't doing the work to work it up. They just, I could tell in their voice, they'd call like, hey, what's going on? Well, you know, why aren't you guys putting money on this? Um, you know, I want to say to them, because I can tell you're not going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, why yeah. would I? Why would I? You're going to yeah. take the lowest, low value the day when we're on a pretrial order or on, on a trial calendar. Um, so that was part of our even business model was we're going to try cases. We're not going to kick cases just because they need to be tried. And I enjoy trying, you know, from your, I've tried small, you know, $10,000, $20,000 cases to, to larger ones. And the complexity that comes with the larger ones I like and the smaller ones might be more about a human aspect, you know, because you might not have as much stuff to talk about. But it, and it keeps you sharp. The smaller ones keep you sharp. It does. And, and it gets you the reps. And I think Moses was on here a while ago. And he said, it's all about reps. It's all about yep. reps. You know, and, and if you're not in the courtroom for years and years and years, you kind of lose that. It's like any, it's like any, you don't play golf for a couple of years, you yeah. play tennis, you just lose it. Maybe your baseball swing, you'll never lose. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, my, my baseball swing, my softball swing, my golf swing, I got to keep it up. Um, anything else you want to add about your firm or, or kind of your marketing kind of approach or your approach of being a lawyer? No, I, I mean, we, um, we've, we've had to evolve it over time, which I think probably folks like you and I have, have to do every year you take a look at it and you, you decide if, if you still are staying in in uh kind of trying to <clears throat> define yourself like i have to de- we have to redefine ourselves every year because we don't know it, is it still working for us like do we want to be the size we are do we want to scale down so i i love talking about it because i think we all have the same challenges um as business owners and not just lawyers of trying to have the best model of what we are and uh and we're, we're so we're really lucky right now that we're, I feel like we're in a sweet spot. So, um, I'd love to be trying cases again. That's when you say reps, pandemic is the biggest struggle for us. Yeah, is not all, getting back all in court. Us, yeah, but we're, you know, we're, Atlanta's a great place to be. Georgia's a great place to have the job we do. And yeah. I, I feel extremely fortunate to be able to do what we do and, and make a living. Yeah, at same. It. So, uh, yeah, the, the other year to year kind of growth, I'll start with the Braves. Uh, damn, their growth. World Series, yeah. still riding absolutely high. So to, to set our, our wardrobes here, yeah. I'm wearing a T-shirt. Like I said, send them wash. Ron Washington's my favorite position coach of all time. Love him. <laughs> yeah. You've got a uh, – Sugar Skull. Sugar Skull, which I've never sent a hat before. Yeah. Is there a backstory to I, it? I got it in a – where our season – we have season tickets, and where our seats are, there is a Braves um, – you know, one of the, the material shops – and they had this one, I think, for a two-game stretch last year. So when I saw it, I ran in and grabbed one, and they were gone the next game I went to, and I cannot find them anywhere online. So if, it's a Braves hat, same color, everything, and it's just got the sugar skull in the place of the A. It's awesome. And you, um, when you would go to games, you've got a jersey that you wear? I have, a Del, I have two. So I have a Dale Murphy signed jersey, and then I've got a Hank Aaron jersey, and I'll rotate them based on how – how we did the last time I wore it. Yeah, so it's very fluid. Huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you're, you're you're wearing a signed jersey to the game. Yes. That's yeah. Awesome. Don't worry. Yeah. Have I seen you wearing something with your name on the back of a jersey? I, I do have. I do have a Braves and a Georgia shirt. Okay. A, okay. <laughs> I, th- I I thought I've seen you with yeah. with, a, with with your own name back there. So so your your athletic gear, athletic wear to sporting events is pretty aces. 
Yeah, and I'm super superstitious. Is that, is that a word? Super superstitious. Super. super yeah. how, how many I'm, I'm super? Very are in superstitious. There. Yeah. <laughs> so if I wear like during the, I went to a bunch of World Series games, and during those, if uh, if we, I was lucky. I went six and one, seven and one, I think, to the playoffs I went to. But if we lost, or if I watched it at home in something and we lost, I would not wear that. To the next. I want to go through all these games because I think you went to the most postseason games of anybody that I know. Yeah, I did. I did um, three, four. I did every home game, and I did game five in the games five in Houston. That six game five. Six is when we clinched. Game, game six in Houston. Yeah, so yeah. Let's start. So so against the Brewers, that was that day game, game three. Yeah. And then game four, Freddie hits the homer. Yeah. And then NLCS, you did not go to Los Angeles, right? But I did you, not. I, I went to game two where we won uh, on the the walk off that um, what's his name hit in left field. Uh, oh, uh, oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah, it. I know, Rosario. I just watched it the other day. Rosa- Rosario, yeah, yeah. Rosario's w- when it skipped off of what's his name? Short glove. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was at that one. Seager. Well, Seager's glove. Yeah, yeah. And then World Series, you went to game three, four, five, and six. And six, yeah. So you were in Houston when it was clinched. Yeah. Talk about that. I, I mean, I'm so jealous. So Houston was, I'd never been to a game in Houston. I've been to the city of Houston once, and I went with uh, three friends. So we flew out that morning. On the way to the airport, we came up with this idea in the morning. Um, I drove us to the airport, and I was like, why don't we go by Fulton County? So we went by Fulton County Stadium. Part, we didn't have to break in. There was, it was actually like... What's your deal with empty stadium, <laughs> I would man? have. You know, I didn't think about that. We got, we parked, walked, and we took a picture at home plate. Uh, together, we like no, lay, lay down in front of the plate. And we just all, open, that, just wide up. It's a parking lot. I, I think GSU might use it as a right. parking lot. You're right. So we parked and we walked into it. Took a photo. Went to the airport. Got on our plane. Went to Houston and uh, kind of spent the the day kicking around Houston. But the game was obviously the game was awesome. Um, fans in Houston were great too, and that's one thing I kept telling people was how graceful they were. Even though a lot of us might have issues with the Astros because of cheating scandal. Yeah, <laughs> the fans were were. So cool to us while we were there. That's great. Um, and you got a video of Solaire's home run, right? I did. And one of our other lawyer buddies, Arthur York, was uh, with. He was one of the guys that went to the game, and we were sitting in the stands watching it. And I, I just happened to turn. I took a you know a couple of videos. It was a big at bat, I guess. And maybe that's why I did it because we had two on, right? And yeah, yeah. two on and two outs, three yeah. two, the whole thing. So I just turned it on while he was while he was hitting and I caught the caught the home run um I was we were sitting kind of uh above uh first base so in, in a in the upper area so caught it on there and caught Arthur uh predicting the shot when he hit it no kidding yeah, yeah pretty awesome. Arthur's a good dude too yeah. um I can't I can't believe I can't imagine being in that stadium when that happened I imagine the air just was let out oh, and of all the Astros but fans. there were a lot of Braves fans so it was I mean it was loud when he when he did it too just because of how many fans had traveled was that there. a hard ticket to get no no it was half, I paid about half unbelievable much to go to Houston for a flight for flying to Houston for a hotel we shared and for the tickets I paid about what I paid in Atlanta per ticket. Do you remember the BS 15 years ago from Chicago? Yeah. When they would say it's more expensive for us to go to a game at Wrigley than to fly down to Atlanta with what you just said, yeah. flight, food, hotel ticket. Yeah. Boy, has that has that reversed? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, between Georgia, you know, Georgia games and Braves games, we've all spent a fortune in these yep. damn tickets. Yep. <laughs> um, I went to one World Series game, and you know, the secondary market was just nuts. It was nuts, and it and it didn't change. I mean, I, I kept watching until like it was game time just to see if the secondary market would go down, and it wasn't it really did. no. It, it never, never did. did. We even we even tried the old like wait till after the first pitch. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah. Didn't matter. And those games, you really don't want to mess around and like. Miss miss some of it. You able to see every pitch. So, what was the atmosphere like after the game? You guys hanging out, partying? Yeah, it was. It was. uh, It was. It was weird because Houston. You know, they won recently, so I guess they're. They didn't seem all that bummed. I mean, I don't know if if it was because we were. You know, it was game five, and wasn't like games. You know, maybe they just expected it. But as soon as it was done, we. um, You know, we went out and walked around downtown's right next to there. So I really, it's like a blur to me because uh, it still. It still feels unreal that it actually happened. I'm waiting for, hopefully, this year starts and it's going to be. I think it'll it'll the reality of it will hit in when I actually go to a game this year and then you see all the World Series, you know, banners out there and be like, oh, that did happen. Can't wait. <laughs> and part of me, I mean, of course, I want the lockout to end. Yeah. Maybe by the time this gets published next week, it will hopefully. But if it doesn't, we'll just remain champs. 
Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Wouldn't, 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 I don't want to be disappointed again. <laughs> yeah. so, so the Solaire moment to me is obviously, you know, iconic. What, what do you think was your favorite moment of the Braves post postseason run? Um, I would, you know, I thought about this, uh, and I, I, so there are two. Ga- so when Rosario and um, uh, Dansby hit the back-to-back homers in game was that game four. That was Solaire that did that, wasn't it? Wasn't it? You're Solaire? right. Solaire, sorry. Solaire when Solaire and Dansby hit the back, but Rosario did everything else. Yeah, yeah. I know. Every time I mentioned, he had like 40 hits in the playoffs. But when they hit that back, those back-to-back in the seventh or eighth of game four, which was my birthday, um, my 44th birthday, and we were in outfield. So when uh, Dansby hit his, it was a no-brainer. Like you could tell, you know, it was opposite field, and you could tell it was going out. But Solaire's was, like, so flat. I mean, he hit it like a line drive. I and mean, the thing was out in, like, half a second. Such a beast. But that was nuts because we had been – our offense had been dead. And so that was that was probably the most energetic, kind of like we're, you know, just nuts, everybody screaming. The, the next biggest one, but I, I hate saying it because we ended up losing, but in game five uh, – in game – I'm sorry, I got it. it was game five. Game five, yeah. When Duvall hit that grand slam, I, I – I only went to that game because I hadn't planned to go to it, and I already bought tickets for Houston, but just in case. But I thought, you know what? If they clinch, I want to be there. Can't miss this. Can't miss it. And I spent, that, was, that was like FOMO of all FOMOs. Oh, right? my God. I spent so much money on those. Uh, other tickets, I was super reasonable, and I bought my girlfriend and I. We were front row right at, at the Braves' dugout, like literally on like against the field, against the netting. And when he hit that home run, he hit it right, and it went kind of like right over the you know first baseline. We were right there, and I just saw that thing. As soon as he touched it, I knew it was gone. That's the loudest I've ever. That's I told Jessica, I was like, that is the loudest, most energetic sporting event in that moment that I've ever been to in my life. Like it went nuts. Awesome. Rest of the game sucked. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, you were probably thinking this was a great investment, and then two innings later, you're like, oh, damn yeah. it, and then it was just like there, wah wah wah. There was a couple next to us who came up from Augusta or somewhere like that, and they were hammered at the beginning of the game. And when he hit that home run, you know they're going nuts, and this guy just like in my ear talking the whole time, a Braves fan. And the, in like the sixth, they fell asleep. <laughs> and they paid what I paid for. I know, yeah. I know. That that was one game I was I was not mad. We were already planning on like hit that home run. I was with a group of people. We we're like, all right, we're going down the battery. This, that, and the other. It was Halloween night, remember? And you're right, it didn't happen. But you're glad, right. Yeah. Glad, glad you got to go to Houston. Um, so your luck with the Braves is better than your luck with UGA games, as I understand from you. Correct. I. I I was told for the Braves that I was no longer allowed to go to playoff games, and this year I said, you know what, I'm just going to do it, and I feel good about it. I had been at the the Braves when the um, Cardinals scored 13 in the first two innings. Went to that playoff game, which got us exited. I've been to a lot of big, bad games for the Braves. So Georgia, I had been notorious for going to games where bad things happen. So Tennessee beat us on the Hail Mary in 16. I was at that one. Uh, lots when I was an undergrad. I went to a lot of ones we, we lost that we shouldn't have lost. Notorious games. And uh, I went to the national championship in 18, which was a miserable experience. And for the, I didn't go to a single regular season game this year. Told my friends I'd stay away. Did you put yourself in timeout? I put myself in, in Georgia football timeout. A, a, a self-imposed, is it moratorium? Yeah, is that moratorium. And I, got, I got offered plenty of tickets to go to regular season games. And I was like, I probably shouldn't. So, <laughs> so is this the is this the first year in twenty years you've been to zero Georgia games? As long as I can remember. All yeah. right. So we have a direct correlation <laughs> between you not attending a game in person to Georgia winning national championship. So well, thank you, sir. Well, I let me take that back. I did go to the SEC championship, <laughs> which is the only game they lost. Yes, it is. I think you just proved my point. I went with Jason with Darnell. We were all did you? Yeah, we were all sitting together. Oh my was, God. Uh, so so we've got some pretty good data here <laughs> yeah. then. Um, stay the hell away, man. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I don't have any plans to go next year. <laughs> So national championship game you did not go to. I didn't and, go. And, and you you said you said guys, I'm taking this one for the team. Yeah, I, I sat and I did the best thing I possibly could, and I don't regret it at all. And I did the same thing for the for the Michigan game, is I just sat at home by myself and watched it with uh, my girlfriend and my animals, and we I just watched it like you know dead sober, like I'm watching a um, uh, a game on film. So I'll just calm, like I just want to see this play out. If we don't play well, I want to understand why. And both were. It was better that I wasn't at the game. So that's how I was on game six with the Braves. Yeah. I excused myself from the public yeah. because right. I couldn't be where something bad was going to happen again. And I didn't want to be in Indianapolis if they lost and then have to be miserable. You know, the way I felt leaving the Mercedes in 18 was bad enough, but I couldn't imagine having to travel back here. I gave my to Indianapolis. It was the FOMO with me. I was like, if this is the time we do it, I just can't. After all the games I've been to. Yeah. But I said, if we lose again, I'm not. 
I'm not doing this again. Yeah. So it was my la- it was my last. You were that close. Yeah. It was my last <laughs> effort. So you mentioned your animals. Yeah. I mentioned earlier you're a cat guy. Yeah. That that's a lot of the of, of the of the talk you know on social media. You post yeah. pictures. So you're always been a cat guy. Uh, no, I got this cat, my oldest cat, Dewberry. He's he's uh, <laughs> my cat. He's 16 now. Um, but I got him when I was 25, and I'd never really liked cats up to that point. And this guy, this cat is crazy. And so I fell in love because it matches my personality. It's just weird. And uh, I can appreciate that. Some people don't appreciate his weirdness. But um, it's, ever since I got him, I've always been kind of a, a feline guy now. So I have two. I have a second one named Kiki. Uh, I have two dogs also. And Kiki I, and Dewberry. You're, and you're all in on cats. Yeah, Kiki and Dewberry. I have two dogs also, and I don't like to ever get the appearance that I neglect them. But Dewberry and I have a connection that, that, that I don't have. So, so Dewberry's number one. If you have to choose yeah. children, Dewberry's one. For, yeah. Uh, these animals come to the office with you? Almost every day, yeah. All four of them? No, the cats. I brought Dewberry once. It didn't go so good. So I bring, um, I bring the dogs most days. I took Smush's, um, my youngest dog, and took him today before I came up here. Oh, cool. And then dropped him back off at home. Y'all's office is uh, like... How would you not Decatur, but what would you? It's it's kind of on Briarcliff, so it's almost Virginia Highlands, kind Virginia of Highlands. close to Emory. And, and, and I live a quarter of a mile from my house. I mean, cool. from my office. That's such a fun area. I mean, y'all got yeah. all sorts of cool lunch spots. Fox Brothers, I know you hit right. Yeah, love Fox Brothers. Yeah. Very good. And then and travel, of course, you mentioned a little bit, but that's a big part of your life, right? Like you're yeah. always got something planned. Yeah. What are some of the cool places that you've been? Um, so even during the pandemic, we kept traveling, and 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 travel for me is the one escape from the stresses that uh, of owning a business and being an attorney that has always worked for me. So to, to get out and reset away from everyone and away from a lot of times away from where anyone can contact me. I mean, I, I check my phone, and, but I try to do a better job there than I do here because I'm on it constantly here. So during the pandemic, we were lucky enough. We got out to, um, uh, we went to Ecuador to Peru, which I'd never been to South America for whatever reason. So we covered both of those in 2020 and 21. Um, did Iceland, which I'd never been to before. Uh, where else did we finish? We've done a lot of backpacking in the U.S. Um, just because, you know, you couldn't get out that often. So we, we haven't been to mainland Europe, um, but we're going to France uh, next month. So. so I went to Iceland, gosh, time goes by so fast, three or four years ago. They would run a half marathon it started at midnight, so it was the time of year there where it was always light. Were you there when it was like that? When yeah, it got dark till like till like there was like two hours of darkness, barely. Yeah, and so it was, I mean it's freaky, it's crazy. Like you got to train yourself. It's like looking outside and it's three o'clock in the morning. But Did you like, run the marathon? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, I mean, you know, it's a beautiful, yeah, beautiful country, and it's not that hard to get to. People think it like sounds on paper harder than it is in reality. We flew through New York or someplace and it was not a, not a bad flight. Yeah. From JFK, it's like four hours. Yeah. So it's, it's not bad. Um, so when you go to these, you know, Ecuador, Peru is, is hiking or outdoor activities kind of always part of it or not necessarily? Usually. Yes. So my girlfriend and I have an agreement. Uh, oftentimes I'll let her pick a destination and then I get to insert something I want to do into it. So she wanted to see Machu Picchu. So I said, all right, if we're going to see Machu Picchu, I'm okay with that, but I want to hike to it. So we did like a 40-mile hike to it. So she would have just gone and been okay just doing the approach, which would have been like two, three miles. And I said, well, I'll agree to this location, but I, I want to hike. So we did like a the Salkante Trek is a hike to get to it. So that's I usually insert something. We're going to France in April. We're doing Paris, and, and she got she's doing a Josh Stein version of it because she's doing a – the one of the nicer hotels there we had a bunch of points but we got, we got like one of the nice hotels in the city and i said if we're going to do that then i want to go to normandy so to see the d-day beaches and do and we're staying like on a little farm out there so we we, we usually do a little bit of both so does your negotiation skills that you've honed over the years of lawyers that pay off it works negotiating <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, you know, nice hotel here, but then you <laughs> yeah. got to go do some backpacking with me there. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, you know, sometimes she'll want to do something I may have no interest in, and I've learned when to compromise. And I say, I think that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? Oh, I have an idea as well. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I love it. Uh, I've never been to. I've never been to France. Um, are all the restrictions for flying now pretty it's, good? Getting over there, it, it's changing a lot right now. So it's super fluid. Um, like Iceland's dropped all of theirs. We're going to Iceland in July to go hiking out there again. Um, f- Honestly, most of the restrictions are testing to come back, which are U.S. 
So yeah. if you're vaccinated, it's pretty easy to get over there without any restrictions in most countries. Yeah. And then um, I've got to ask you about the pose that you do in yeah. all your pictures. Like, what's, what's, where'd that start? And for people that don't know, like that, that haven't seen your pictures, like explain to them why I'm asking you that question. Yeah. So I, it started. So I do a pose every, every place I travel, I try to go to the most iconic location in that country or city. And I lay on the ground like a six year old and cross my legs uh, in the air and rest my head in my palms and take a photo. And I do this, I've done it in front of the Louvre, I've done it in front of uh, Wrigley Stadium, I've done it in front of London Bridge and, and everywhere I can think of. And I have about 50 of them. But the first time it happened, I was drunk and <laughs> usually these things start when I was drunk. I was drunk in like Mexico. Like every great story, come on. <laughs> yeah, I was drunk in Mexico and my younger brother, David, who's a lawyer as well, um, uh, and uh, I talked him into, I don't know why he agreed to do it, we were laughing and the, where the waves were breaking and hit me on the beach. I laid down. I was like, take my photo, do a little series of photos here. I don't know what my angle was, but I took a bunch of them and they actually came out really well. I mean, like looked idiotic, you know, like, why would I take that photo? And I posted it wherever, Facebook, whatever, it might've been MySpace even. And everybody liked it in a like you like it in like what the hell are you thinking way and which i can appreciate like what's <laughs> yeah, wrong with you you're like you look like a six-year-old or, or or uh trying to be a six-year-old and i thought okay or, i can or, live or with a that drunk grown up <laughs> yeah or drunk, which i was so that was the first one and then the next time we went um we went to london i think and i said hey just do that again and the the best thing about this is that someone always has taken that picture so my brother or my girlfriend, and they always say, oh, not that stupid, but they do it anyway. They do it anyway. So, you know, I just say, hey, I, I'll just lay down and they'll do it. I bet the reality is they say, go do the picture now. Like, that, like y'all, y'all spend a day finding, not a take day, a location. like you find the location. <laughs> we flew to Iceland when I went in March and it was to see that there was a volcano erupting out there. Mm-hmm. And it was about an hour drive from uh, uh, Reykjavik. And I pretty much only agreed to go on that trip so I could take my picture in front of the volcano. That's amazing. So I've got a friend, Jason Mullen, who does the exact same thing. Oh, really? His, his, his poses are a little different than yours. Yeah. Family show. Uh, so, you know, not good at all the sorts of details, but he, he, he's an artist when it comes to posing on these pictures. And what will happen is like me or whoever we're with will be taking the picture and then inevitably a third person will take a picture of someone taking the picture doing the post. It becomes like a whole, it becomes <laughs> yeah. like a whole thing. Uh, but it is, it is so damn funny. I mean, look, if you can't have fun with this stuff, like what's the point? Yeah. And it helps me, you know, it's not, I think you said it earlier and I, you know, a lot of my friends that are able to do this, I think it's life is easier by not taking yourself so seriously. And especially doing what we do, it's, you can get caught up in, uh, these back, you know, these back and forth, and you don't want people to ever think you're weak. You don't want people to think that you're ever going to compromise or back down. That's these ideas you have in your head when you come out being a lawyer. And I think if you can take knock some, it's easy to knock some of that down if you can take yourself less seriously in a lot of other realms of your life. And that has seemed to to help me. So one of the one of, speaking of, of not taking yourself too seriously, you and Jeff Shiver have like a running thing <laughs> back and forth. Jeff, you haven't had him on here, have you? No. Okay. But, good. But remember, so Jeff Jeff was a you know was in my law school class. Yeah. We've been friends for a long time. He's a great guy, brilliant lawyer. Obviously, had tons of success. Um, but you and him, like y'all have a thing, man. And that was when, when we first started talking about this podcast. Yeah. And I said I'm, I'm I'll do it, but you know the two of you don't need to be together. Let's let's work this thing out. So I don't think I I know where all this started, but. I, I'm not even sure either. We knew each other in law school just kind of in, in passing, but we'd, uh, you know, professionally we'd see each other. And, you know, he Jeff does this, you know, kind of same stuff that you do um, and I do as well to some extent. Uh, I, I think he probably, I think he may have, have, you know, we both have bald heads and I'm much more attractive and much more charismatic. Uh, he's a little bit taller, which is the only thing I'll concede to him. But the he i think he started people someone said that we looked like twins we have a photo with uh when we were at um auto torch one year and i think somebody said something then he responded with him being that he thought he was more attractive which is absolutely incorrect and at that point we started having this feud which you know in jest and it's just grown from there and sometimes you know he seems to be the one that keeps uh prolonging it by making you know he's always talking about it and i think the guy just 
he has a thing. I've, I've invited him to do things like go on vacation if he really wants to spend that much time with me. But he won't. He won't. <laughs> he come, should come to uh, Paris with you. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't asked. He drops hints. He wants to travel. He wants to do. He wants to learn from me. But I. I formally I, invite him. Right yeah, now. but he disgusts me because uh, he can't just come out and say, Armand, I, I want to be best friends. So. Uh, if you're listening, Jeff, I'm here. You can you can text she's me, city, call city, me, like, hey, a, uh, like a like a like a fifth grade no, no, like check yes or no. Yeah. Maybe you do that. See, he's uh, one of the guys who would say no, and then you know, and then he's texting me, and I can tell he's looking at my Instagram. He's looking at my stories. So. Oh, too funny. Well, we'll give him a chance <laughs> yeah. at some point to to, to cut back. To you. Well, listen, man, this has been great. I, I knew we'd have a good time. Um, you know, we could talk about the Braves forever, Georgia, you know, you know the lost up. So um, thank you for coming on. Tell people uh, your firm, where they can find you. Make sure, because people are going to be interested now to follow you in your travels. Yeah. So we are, it's, it's Litton Regonian. We are um, located in, it's like you said, it's kind of Virginia Highlands, downtown Decatur. Um, and we do personal injury. We do litigation. You know, if, if you have a practice where you don't, um, you don't litigate, which I do understand because not for everybody. Uh, we'll take on a lot of that litigation. Uh, I it, to for my weird post things. Um, my Instagram is is mtlionman.com. So mountain lion man. I love mountain lions too. Is that I like from, I like cats. From your beard or just from your love? <laughs> it's the cats. It's the cat things. It's graduated to larger cats. <laughs> so they're they're domestic. You know, in, in the in the states, I always tell people if I get mauled and killed by mountain lion on one of my hikes it would be the best way to go i thought you were gonna say i always tell people that if i you know get another pet it's gonna be a mountain lion You're i would love to, to have one yeah. it's not reasonable though. are those things domesticated <laughs> enough to have in a house yeah, or no it would kill me for you sure. could be like mike tyson doesn't he have a lion <laughs> he has or a tiger tiger i think yeah yeah uh, well i'm sorry so mountain lion at mountain lion mountain lion man dot, mountain lion man uh, whatever it is instagram yeah so all my odd and on my facebook on there i have a a, a picture folder which my friends are going to be furious that I'm uh, uh, pushing this to look at, but I have a travel folder. It's, it says Armand's Travels, and it's got all the photos in there. Is that a separate place to go, or is that within? I told my Facebook. Oh, your Facebook. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you're a good follow on social media, so I would suggest I would suggest everybody going right now and plugging in you know your information because it, it, I am a professional. A, also, you're a professional. <laughs> Look, man, thanks so much for being here today. We had a good time, and uh, thank you all for listening. And um, if you enjoyed this, tell a friend and give us a rate us. Subscribe, is that what they say? Do you tell people to subscribe? I think, yeah, subscribe would be a good way to do it. Yeah. yeah that way you get what the daily, not daily, but when I publish something, the subscription, they yeah. get notifications. Yeah, everybody, yeah. yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah. Do that. All right. <laughs> Until next time, everybody, keep chopping. <laughs>